I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Lakers Lowdown. I'm Anthony Irwin. Today on the show, well, we've been talking about running it back this whole time, and frankly, it had gotten a little old. So I am here to welcome one of the more intriguing rumors that we've gotten, not just this year, but in a little while, to be completely honest. Bruce Brown? Come on down, baby. So this features a ton of math, which means, you know, I'm going to try to keep that part of it short as as possible just to try to explain, you know, without getting too far into the weeds, what it all might mean. But where it really gets interesting, where I think it really gets complicated is what acquiring Bruce Brown means for the rest of the roster. Let's start, though, with the rumor itself, where it came from, and then kind of work from there. So Mike Singer of the Denver Post uh, tweeted out this, quote, One team with significant interest in signing Bruce Brown away from Denver is the Los Angeles Lakers, multiple sources told the Denver Post. The Lakers could offer him the full mid-level, 12.3 annually. Um, Nuggets can only offer up to $7.8 million this year, end quote, or in tweet, or whatever. Um so then, you know, I did my own little bit of digging here, and um, not only did I hear that uh, that is the case that the Lakers are interested, but that they have some they have some confidence in their ability to pull this off and their ability to to uh, convince Brown to come. Now, they have been confident about a whole bunch of stuff before, right? Most notably, they were very confident in their ability to sign Kawhi Leonard, which obviously did not happen. So the Lakers have, I think, under Rob Palenka, they've had a little too much confidence in some of their plans here and have had to kind of move off of them um, on on more than one instance. But still, the Lakers, um, you know, they their confidence in being able to convince Brown to come also means that they feel confident that they're able to put themselves in a position to get him. So let's take a real quick look at what that would look like. So initially, when this rumor came up, um, my initial thought was, oh, okay, so they're just going to let Bamba and Beasley go and then, you know, really hope to bring Russell in at a really low number and probably also Rui to to come in at a really no num- low number lower by the way than than I anticipated um so Cranjus uh of the uh, Lakers exceptionalism pod um actually put together you know a quick explainer on what it would kind of look like um numbers wise right so um in terms of players that we've talked about before Malik Beasley would go from the 16.5 million that he's on right now 
down to seven and a half million. Um, you know, I, Jovan and I talked about that on the lounge or in the lounge yesterday, and I'm a little skeptical about the chances of that, but still for the sake of math, um, let's just say that they, they are able to retain Beasley at seven and a half mil Reeves gets the 12 and change that he's going to get regardless, uh, whether he gets maxed out or not. D'Angelo Russell signs at 18 and change, um, which in the ballpark of what I've been talking about, I still think he comes in closer to 20, but you know, again, for the sake of math, let's just roll with what, um, what, what Tim is talking about. And then he has Rui coming back at 13 and a half mil, which is way lower than I have him at. I have him at 18. Um, but you know, just for, again, to explain what, what it all would have to look like for uh, this to actually go down. These are the numbers that the Lakers would have to get to, right? That would then uh, bring them below the luxury tax, which as of right now is slotted at, um, or, or below the first apron, um, which is slotted right now at $172 million. Um, the Lakers in this scenario here where they use uh, their their full non taxpayer mid level, uh, which is twelve and a half ish million, on in this case Bruce Brown, uh, a couple uh, minimum contracts and their biannual exception, which is at four and a half million. Um, if they use all of that stuff, they come in at um, just under that first apron, which allows them to be able to do all of this stuff, which. Uh, and, and, and if they clear it, right, they're only clearing it by like a hundred thousand bucks. And, um, that is not very much wiggle room. And by the way, they would be hard capped in this scenario. Uh, that is where I start to bump a little bit. That's where I stub my toe on this plan. So if they don't pursue Bruce Brown and they just use their mini mid-level exception, right? And they bring back Beasley, they bring back Bomba at those numbers, um, you then have those trade chips to move later in the year as expirings and, you know, Bomba's making 10. And by the way, he is, you know, in this scenario, you don't have Bomba coming back. And I do, like, the more that I kind of think about it, I like him as an option um, as as a center for them next year. But anyway, so um, Bomba at 10, Beasley at 16 and a half. If you combine those salaries you can bring back a player in the range of 30 million bucks. And my guess is, and I really like Bruce Brown, but my guess is the caliber of player that the Lakers would be acquiring for 30 million bucks is probably going to be more impactful than even Bruce Brown, even given that he would be going from the Nuggets, um, making them worse and making the Lakers better. Um, and, and uh, I, you know, I, I, I understand both sides of it, to be completely honest. I get why there are people who are saying like, no, 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 push, push hard for this. But I myself being the petty person that I am I'm like, yeah, you know what? Screw it. Let's, let's, let's roll these dice here. But the other part of it too is if the Lakers do go down this path, they would have to make decisions on Bamba and Beasley before they know for sure about, um, uh, about, you know, they have to make those decisions today by the time you guys are listening to this. Uh, they would, before um, they know for sure about Bruce Brown or whoever it is that they think that they'd be able to get at that non taxpayer mid level exception. 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So, yeah, it's just, it's really risky, right? Because if you do this, and then Bruce Brown resigns, and then other players that you kind of have slotted in that price range sign for more as some of these teams that have cap space sign people to get to the salary floor and to use as assets heading into um, the season. If you strike out after having let Beasley and Bombo walk, you're screwed. You don't have avenues to improve your team as the season goes along. And, you know, yeah, I think the team with Brown on it, has a higher floor and ceiling at the start of the year than uh, the Lakers would if they just ran it back, right? But if they do run it back and they have the flexibility that comes with having, you know, two contracts. And, and by the way, like I saw people saying, well, they could just trade D'Angelo Russell. I was like, yeah, but you're trading a rotation player at that point. The nice thing about Beasley and Bamba is that neither of those guys really figure into the plans on the basketball court next year. So if you move those guys, it is just kind of a net positive. Um, it is all house money at that point because neither of those guys have done anything to this point where I'm like, I would miss them as basketball players. So, um, yeah, I... I want to say you know and and initially I was really excited about it because man it would be really nice to see uh Mike Malone kind of wriggle on the hook a little bit there but I just don't know if it's worth the risk of you know because look Brown looked pretty stoked and we've seen Bobby Portis resign and then uh you know stay there and then get paid out and that would be a very easy for a, a very easy deal for the Nuggets to work out with Brown having won the championship already. And, you know, if you look back at the uh, at the tweet itself, Mike Singer says, one team with significant interest in signing Bruce Brown away from Denver is the Los Angeles Lakers. There's no mutual interest there. And, yeah, while I do say and while I did say that the Lakers are pretty confident in this one, um, you know, again, they've been confident before. And... You know, that time they were able to, you know, they had a plan B and they set that into motion as soon as they found out that Kawhi wasn't coming and they were able to, you know, do so to the tune of a title that year. But in this case, if you don't do that and then you strike out on other potential names in that range, right, Um, you know, Norm Powell or, uh, you know, Dante DiVincenzo, whatever it is, um, or Dwight Powell, I, he says Powell here on, on his little chart. Um, and, and so if they, if they strike out on, on those guys, then it really, you know, you're really kind of screwed when it comes to, you know, trying to build on the momentum that they had here. And, you know, I, I know it's boring and I know that, um, you know, the, the idea of taking a, an important piece away from the Nuggets is enticing, right? Because that's the team that you're directly competing with potentially next year. 
But, you know, I, I'd be just as fine, to be honest, if Bruce Brown just left Denver, got a bigger... And by the way, this happens all the time. You know, you see, you see players like Brown um, get slotted in at the non-taxpayer mid-level because a lot of fan bases talk themselves into that. But this also kind of feels like a leverage play to other teams out there saying, hey... You know, if you don't if you don't offer just a little bit more, there are teams that are lining up to give me that non-taxpayer money. Um, so it might not even be directed towards Denver, uh, this this potential leverage play. And so if Brown gets more and Dante DiVincenzo gets more and now all of a sudden you're you're trying to scrape together that roster now, without those trade chips in Beasley and Bamba, potentially, in Beasley, you could technically retain at a lower number. But at that point, you have potentially irked him to a point where he's like, nah, we're good. I'm not going to negotiate with you guys anymore. We're going to move on. And, um, you know, that's, that's its own risk, right? Mo Bamba is probably as good as any center that the Lakers have access to this uh, free agency period, right? They, they aren't going to be able to get Brooke Lopez and the market becomes pretty uninspiring from that point forward. So like I, I'd kind of, and I, I'm not the biggest fan of Bamba's game, but I'd kind of rather roll the dice with him because either he fits as a player and fills a need there or that $10 million contract, that $10 million expiring contract is as good as gold come trade deadline time, Right. And we also know that these expiring contracts are going to be that much more valuable as more of these teams freak out and try to position themselves in a way where they aren't completely screwed when this next CBA um, comes into to, to place. So, yeah, I the more that I kind of think about it, the more that I talk about it, as much as I love Bruce Brown's game. And by the way, last summer, he was the guy that I wanted on the um, exception that they wound up giving to Lonnie Walker. And I know also that he was, uh, you know, an X factor, a real difference maker in the series that the Lakers played against Denver. And if you just take him from Denver and put him on the Lakers, does it mean that the Lakers win that series? Probably not, no. But does it make that series closer to the point where you can get it to like a coin flip? Or slightly less than a coin flip, maybe. So, yeah, even even given all of that, I'm still sitting here like there's a lot of risk here, and there's a lot of stuff that isn't quite adding up. And look, maybe we'll get more information. I am recording this on June 28th. You guys are listening to this on June 29th. We only have a another day after today of uh you know before we get to free agency. And that's when we'll really start to see more information start flowing, um, you know, from all over the place. But until we get there and until we know a little bit more about the situation, this whole Bruce Brown thing feels like a red herring to me. It, it, it really makes me nervous and it really makes me, you know, worry that the Lakers would pursue this and take their eye off the ball elsewhere and, you know, miss out on on some opportunities that they'll have if they just remain patient. I think the macro takeaway from all of this is that, um, you know, just like they were hoping for last year, they gave themselves a shot at competition last season and into the postseason. And then on top of that, they gave themselves a ton of flexibility this year 
depending on how last year went, right? If last year's team fell on its face, maybe they rethink some stuff, they go back to the drawing board, they they do a whole bunch more uh, heavy lifting this year. That team succeeds fairly well, and we're talking very differently about their intentions this year. I would still say, and I mentioned this to Jovan on the show, um, that it's kind of funny to see Rob Polinka and the Lakers who were so adamant while they were kind of shuffling their feet waiting to trade Russell Westbrook that they wouldn't do anything for like gradual steps towards a championship. Um, and then, you know, now to see them after getting swept in the Western Conference Finals, um, you know, leading up to today, and really ready to run it back with a team that fell well short um, of of a championship. Not well short, but short of the championship. And and yeah, I, I just think the framing of all this is funny. And look, it's all it's it's also possible that they can learn, right? They can learn from mistakes and they can say, well, actually getting to championship contention is a process that does take time and does take, you know, gradual steps forward until eventually you're able to get there, right? But um, they also haven't really acknowledged that they were kind of wrong in, in their stance before, that it is title or bust. And and by the way, like, I'm the same person who said that last year was was a success, and I am sitting here now saying that last season was a success and that it was a success and they have flexibility now. So I'm not I'm not complaining. All I am doing is pointing out some of the inconsistencies in the messaging behind what the Lakers are doing. And and look, the thing with consistency is all of this shit is a moving target. I reported 24 hours ago, maybe 48 hours ago, that the Lakers were planning on bringing back Beasley and Bamba um, for, for you know f- to use as trade chips as the season goes along. Before that or, or, or after that, they come to find out they have a shot at Bruce Brown and plans change. Um, and, and not only do they have a shot at Bruce Brown, but like there might be some, some mutual interest there. And you know we'll see what, what all of this kind of looks like at the end of the day. But I did want to spend a few minutes here at the very end saying like, had they run it back, it would have been a little inconsistent in their kind of macro company line. And I would have been mostly okay with it because, like, the alternatives aren't great. And by the way, like, this is one of the better alternatives. And I just spent the last 20 minutes debating whether or not it's something I actually want to do. <laughs> so so this is not easy. I am not sitting here saying that Rob Polinka or anybody who is behind any of these decisions have an easy job. No. By like, you should hear me and Aaron talk when we aren't on the air. Like you guys hear the versions of conversations that we have on the air and they get contentious in large part because I, I do tend to come off as kind of condescending and as if like, I think I could do better than whatever it is the Lakers are doing. And that's a me thing. Like that's, that's something I, I got to work on. But as far as like the idea of, you know, having a stance, having that, like, you know, it, it traces back to mama mentality, right? Kobe used to say any season that did not finish in a championship 
was a failure. I think the first person I ever heard say that was Derek Jeter, and then Kobe ran with it and 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 built it up tenfold. And it's like a really cool thing to say. Um, it's not something I necessarily agree with, but it is it is kind of like the 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 mo of the Lakers under Rob Palinka until until they turned last season around. And either they they either they went through that experience and learned that actually gradual growth to a championship is what everybody does, or you know there might be some other stuff going on there, right? And you know one thing that I can't stop thinking about is Rob Palenka, you know, watches the Lakers win a championship with a bunch of guys that weren't his guys, right? And then eventually rather quickly to be honest tears down that team and then last year they were they 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 drug their feet on tearing down a disastrous team from the year prior and now this year after getting swept in the western conference finals they're really they've been really adamant about bringing this group back this core back and you know, you have to wonder if a part of that has to do with it being Rob's guys, it being Rob's success. The trade deadline was a Rob Polinka trade deadline, and the season after it was a Rob Polinka success. And we do know that this guy operates in, you know, there's there is a lot of company politics that goes on within the Lakers, and this guy is an incredible at it. Every- He's sharp as attack. He is, you know, and, and you talk to people and it's not that like, I'm not going to go so far as to say that, you know, he's like, um, he's dirty in the way that he operates or anything like that. He just, he understands the game and, um, he plays the game very well. And, you know, with, with having the success that they had last year, I do kind of wonder if, you know, this is a continuation of him playing the game, him saying like, we got to run this back. This is a team that we believe in. This is a team that we built, blah, 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 blah. But we is kind of standing in there for I, and I don't blame him. Right. You know, um, there's, there's a lot going on there between, you know, the, the bus family dynamic, uh, the, the Rob Palinka dynamic, uh, before that it was the magic Johnson dynamic versus Rob Palinka. When, when those two were kind of sparring in hallways, there was the there is still some of the, the the stuff that goes on between the Lakers and Clutch as that turf war, turf cold war continues. Um there's a lot going on there. And and when we arrive here at a place where their intentions are as far away from their stated goal and their stated modus operandi, it does force me to wonder about some stuff there. And um it's not all bad. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's all bad or it's, it's it's whatever. I'm just wondering about stuff. I'm going to stop wondering right now. That is going to do it here for this episode of the Lakers Lowdown. As you can hear from my voice, I did a lot of talking yesterday. I hope you guys checked out the conversation I had with Jason Timpf as we went through the Western Conference for teams that we think can most viably beat the Denver Nuggets um, or, or like do whatever it takes to beat the Denver Nuggets. Um, that was a blast. Had a really good time talking with Jason in that one. And then uh, after that, like an hour after that, Jovan Buha of The Athletic came on and we talked about 
how weird it is to see the Lakers prepping themselves for a boring offseason, only to, like a couple hours after that, find out that it's a little less boring. But, by the way, that podcast is still very relevant as, A, nothing has happened, really, and then, B, at the very end of it, he and I had a conversation about, like, how smart is it to run back a team that got swept out of the Western Conference Finals? So, Enjoy all of that good stuff. I really do think it's good stuff. Really love talking to Jason. That was the first time, first I think of many times that he and I are going to be working together. And then um, Jovan is somebody who I always have a blast uh, podcasting with as well. So check out both of those conversations. And then in a little bit, by the time you guys are listening to this, I'm going to be getting ready because it's Thursday to talk to Aaron about yesterday's goings on and I already told him prep a nice tall glass of unnamed cognac because this might get a little awkward but some of the machinations here are still worth going through uh, with somebody who knows as much about it as he does so you're going to want to check out that a little bit later today as well so until then and until the next time I talk to you guys I'm Anthony Irwin saying have a good one